It is uh, good to be with you as we get back into the Westminster Confession of Faith today. Um, we spent um, three or four weeks in December um, beginning a series on the Confession, um, talk about some of the background issues, began to get into um, the uh, first part of um, the Confession, which is on Scripture. And uh, we come now to um, about the halfway point um, of that chapter um, on, uh, on, this, on Scripture. Um, if anyone needs a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, let me know. I have um, plenty of those to give out, so um, just let me know after class, and I'll be happy to give you a copy. Um, so we've talked about various things, including the Scriptures, in terms of their inspiration, in terms of their relationship to the natural revelation, um, in terms of what constitutes Scripture, which books are scriptural, um, where the authority of Scripture comes from. Um, and we come now today to um, chapter 6, which focuses on the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, that title is not in the Confession of Faith. That's one that I've given you on the handout there that kind of summarizes the, um, the emphasis of this chapter, chapter 6. Um, it reads this way, and we read it and we'll talk about it some. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence, according to the general rules of the Word, which are always to be observed." Let me read that first sentence again. We'll talk about that more in depth. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Um, so this, as I've said, this section of the chapter on Scripture speaks of the sufficiency of Scripture, the, um, the way in which it is enough for us. Um, it is um, given to us, and God has given us what we need of His revelation in Himself um, in the Scriptures as they have come down to us and been completed um, with the closing of the New Testament canon. Um, so essentially what this sentence is saying is that everything that we need to know about God um, for God's glory, um, for our salvation, for our faith, for our life, um, is either written explicitly in the Scriptures or by good and necessary consequence, so by meditation, by reflection, by interpretation and thought, um, may be deduced from Scripture. Um, and nothing should be added to the Scriptures in that way. Um, and we're not saying that, that everything... We can only, you know, th there is that clause, which is a really important clause, that, that not only are the things that are necessary for our life and salvation and God's glory and our faith explicitly written in the Scriptures, but also that we 
um, have um, the capacity and the responsibility, really, to make good and necessary um, deductions um, from the scriptures themselves. Um, but apart from that, there's no reason to look anywhere else. There's no uh, need um, to go to add to that, um, whether by the new revelations of the Spirit or by the traditions of men. Um, when the time that, you know, this has an application, of course, today in our context because of the um, spread of the Pentecostal movement um, around the world and the way in which um, there is, at times at least, within Pentecostal circles, an emphasis on new revelations of the Spirit, those kinds of things. Um, but even in the, the time in which the confession was written, there was, um, there were these sort of, part of it was connected to the Quaker movement, um, part of it was connected to other sort of proto charismatic Pentecostal uh, movements, which emphasize sort of private inward, inner revelation um, from God. And, and the, the standards are pushing against that. They're saying that's not necessary, that's not uh, where we need to look. Um, it's interesting that where they talk about all things necessary for God's glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. I think it's worth pointing out that that's a pretty broad um, categories there, right? We're basically covering the gamut. God's glory, our salvation, our faith, and our life. Everything that we need, everything that is necessary for those things has been given to us in the scriptures. I want to read this um, quote from Cornelius Van Til, um, which is right below that section um, from the confession. He says, The Bible is thought of as authoritative on everything of which it speaks. And I think we'd all agree with that pretty easily. Moreover, it speaks of everything. And here's where the rub is, right? Um, some people, I think, really want to limit the things that the Scripture speaks to. Okay, Scripture just speaks to sort of your inner private relationship with God and um, how your sins can be forgiven and how you can go to heaven um, after you die. Um, but as Reformed people, we want to say, no, actually the Scripture speaks about far more than that. Um, the Scriptures actually speak about everything as Van Til puts it here. We do not mean that it speaks of football games, of atoms, etc., directly, but we do mean that it speaks of everything, either directly or by implication. And here's where that clause, by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced, um, comes into play. It tells us not only of Christ and his work, but it also tells us who God is and where the universe about us has come from. It tells us about theism as well as about Christianity. It gives us a philosophy of history as well as history. Moreover, the information on these subjects is woven into an inextricable whole. So it's all connected together. The Bible speaks about everything, and, 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 and all of it is woven together in such a way that you can't strip any of it apart. It is only if you reject the Bible as the word of God that you can separate the so-called religious and moral instruction of the Bible from what it says, for example, about the physical universe. Um, so Vanto really wants to hold these things together, that we, we can't say that the Bible only speaks about salvation or about uh, moral instruction. It really does speak to us about all things. This view of Scripture, he goes on to say, therefore involves the idea that there is nothing in this universe on which human beings can have full and true information unless they take the Bible into account. Um, so the Bible has to be part of our understanding of how things work, of how accounting works, of how physics works, of how 
Um, you know, we, we build cities of how we do politics, whatever it might be, whatever the subject, the Bible has to come to bear on those things. We do not mean, of course, that one must go to the Bible rather than to the laboratory if one wishes to study the anatomy of the snake. But if one only goes to the, what if one goes only to the laboratory and not also to the Bible, one will not have a full or even true interpretation of the snake. Um, so he's saying in order to, to rightly understand even such things as uh, the physical sciences, we have to listen to what the Bible tells us about the world and about um, who made it and why it was made and what people are and what animals are. And the only way that we will know those things is if we go to the scriptures. And we could go far beyond that in terms of um, how we determine what it means that something is true. Um, you know, all, all, all sorts of things um, derive out of this. Any thoughts or questions about that idea that, that the scripture speaks about everything that is necessary and the Bible speaks about all things, really? Yeah, Jeremy. I think you could make that critique. So essentially, Jeremy's saying, doesn't this challenge what we believe about common grace or natural revelation, that um, there is um, real knowledge that can be gained and that God does work those means? I would say, yes, Jeremy, I think that's a, that's a, that's a criticism that could be raised. I would push against that. I would say that, um, that natural revelation um, and common grace have limitations. Um, and I think one way you can really see this at work in our, in our world today is in the way in which um, human sexuality has been um, totally disfigured um, because people are trying to think about what constitutes a human person, what constitutes a human man, what constitutes a human woman, um, apart from the scriptures, um, depending on what we might call natural revelation. And I... I mean, natural revelation about the human anatomy is pretty clear, right, in terms of the distinction of the sexes and what they're for and what sex is. Um, and yet, because of the, the way in which the fallenness of human nature clouds real knowledge, um, there is now utter confusion um, in our culture and in the world about what constitutes um, maleness and femaleness and what it means to be a human person, what sex is, uh, what it's for. And so, I, and I think the, the root cause of that is because what the scriptures teach are not being held up as authoritative. And so there is a, a kind of blindness um, that is taking place. And so when you talk about things like you're talking about and wanting to have a, a high view of natural revelation, I think you also have to take into account what Paul says in Romans 1 about the way in which men have blinded themselves um, in their sin and um, begin to worship the creation rather than the creator and how that leads to all sorts of idolatry and other kinds of consequences. Um, so, so we not only wanna have a, a positive view of natural revelation, we also wanna have a, 
uh, realistic view, I would say, of total depravity um, and of original sin and the way that, that sin always leads to, um, in its, without God's intervention, without the work of the Spirit, a kind of rebellion against the created order and a, a kind of um, even intentional clouding of the truth um, that exists. And so, uh, I, I mean, there, this, is a, this is a conversation that takes place within the reform world, right? Um, if you're familiar with that at all, like Van Til is definitely on one side of the spectrum. Um, and there are, you know, we might say neo-Calvinists or whatever um, who are more, um, want to talk more positively about natural revelation and common grace. I'm, I think I'm pretty much with Van Til on this one. Um, and I, I think there's, yeah, and, and it, it, it's because I think that he's trying to take seriously both um, the sinfulness of humanity and the way that that sinfulness clouds um, the, the knowledge that we have of not only God, but also ourselves and the world. Um, Calvin, of course, you know, talks about this. The metaphor that he uses is um, that we're, we're blinded and we need, he compares the scriptures to spectacles um, glasses that we all need in order to see um, not only God, but also the world and ourselves rightly. Um, and he says, apart from um, the, the spectacles that the, the scriptures provide, everything is confused, essentially. Um, so that, those are some of the things that I would say, I guess. Any other feedback on that or thoughts? Yeah, we're not saying that you need the scriptures necessarily to, uh, to pour concrete and build a bridge that won't collapse. Um, what we are saying is that in order to understand why it's important that bridges not collapse or why it's important that bridges be built in a particular kind of way, um, those things you're dependent upon the scriptures for. So, so true knowledge is, is not just simply utilitarian. Um, it goes far beyond that in terms of understanding what we're here for and what we do. Um, and I would argue that even within, you know, the, the scientific project today as it exists, I don't think would exist in the way it does without the revelation of the scriptures, right? That provide a kind of undergirding, um, even in our culture today, though it's pushed back against the scriptures and has rejected them as a source of truth. Um, we can't escape implications um, of, of what the scriptures teach all over the place um, in our culture today. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, just to, to, to push back against that some, like for the example, the, um, the idea that is the Earth the center of the universe or, or the solar system or the sun, right? Um, one of the things. So um, I think we can, we can talk about how natural revelation has expanded our understanding of the way in which the Earth physically relates to the sun and rotates around it. But at the same time, the Bible speaks about geocentricism. Do you know what I mean? in the sense that the earth is a special part of um, the, the universe in that humanity is the crowning um, image of God and, and earth is the place where God has, has um, given to them. And so there, are, so there are ways in which even we need, we still need the scriptures, right? That they might have been, the early you know, church might have been wrong about the physical relationship of the, the, the um, the earth to the sun, but it, they weren't wrong about the, the broader point in the, that the scriptures were making. Um, and and w- I'm planning next week to begin a new series on Genesis, going back to um, where we left off several years ago after I preached through Genesis 1 to 3 and um, picking up in chapter 4. And one of the things that I'm going to be talking about is that Genesis is actually, we need to go to Genesis to really understand ourselves and who we are. Genesis is given to us not simply as some kind of narrative about, you know, how we can be redeemed. It actually speaks to us about all of our lives in a lot of ways, um, and and it really does speak about everything. And we we need the wisdom of the scriptures in order to understand. Um, uh, you know, just thinking about that first verse of Genesis four, where it talks about, and Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, and she named him Cain because she said, I have gotten a man from Yahweh. Um, I mean, there's like, that teaches us like everything we need to know basically about sex and childbearing and children and life. I mean, there's so much, do you know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that that's, that's the way we wanna talk about the scriptures, that they do speak about all of these things with authority, with uh, clarity, I think. Anything else before we move on here? Um, I want to read also this um, quote here from Robert Lethem. He, he, because um, I want to make sure you're not misunderstanding what I'm saying when I'm saying that the Bible gives us everything we need and the Bible talks about everything. Um, there is this statement that it's either expressly set down in the scripture, the confession says, or by good and necessary consequence, can be deduced from Scripture, may be deduced from Scripture. And Lethem comments, he says, by good and necessary consequence, so that clause, that it's not just the things that are explicitly stated in Scripture as propositions, but it's also things that, that human beings can reflect on and think about, um, and then by good and necessary consequence make deductions. He says, by good and necessary consequence is a profoundly important statement. It points to the need for careful thought and reading, preaching, and thinking about the Bible. It mandates theology. In order to begin to grasp the whole counsel of God, we need to be able to make legitimate deductions from the Bible. This statement raises the question of the relationship between Scripture and tradition. 
and opens the door for a biblically-based understanding of the development of dogma. It also preserves the role of human reason in reflecting on Scripture and guards against a literalistic fundamentalism. It is paradigmatic for all that follows in the confession. Uh, and the reason that is is because so much of the confession itself are good and necessary consequences um, from the Scriptures, right? Um, the Bible doesn't say explicitly um, you should baptize babies after they're born if they have Christian parents. But uh, we believe in the Reformed tradition that by good and necessary consequence, you can deduce that that is the case, for example. And the Bible doesn't even say that uh, women should be baptized explicitly, right? Um, um, but we think that by good and necessary consequence, we can deduce that they should. Um, for example, or that the, or the women should receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, right? Um, those kinds of things. Um, so the, the scripture's full of um, good and necessary deductions um, from the scriptures. Um, and, and that's a, a significant thing to point out here because that creates space for um, human thought, for human reflection, and not just as individuals, but for there to be such a thing as tradition, um, not in an authoritative sense, um, but when you come to the Bible and make good and necessary deductions about it, you need to be honest. You're not doing that from scratch, right? You're doing that in the concert of the, the church as a whole over the centuries. And you ought to do it in a self-conscious way that you're doing it with the church over the centuries. Not to do so would be to reject the wisdom that's gone before you. It would be a completely arrogant thing to think that you ought to come to the scriptures somehow, you know, with a blank slate and you can just... Um, come to them and understand them and make deductions out of them um, on your own. Now, you're doing that within the company of 2,000 years of reflection that's taking place. Um, and, 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 yeah, so I just think this is a really interesting and important thing to say. What we're not saying here is that you need to find a proof text where the Bible explicitly says um, everything that, you know, that you need to, to wrestle with. You know, for example, should you pay your taxes? I mean, there might be some ways that you can try to find like explicit proof texts um, that, that teach that you should pay your taxes, Romans 13 or Jesus's example with the fish and that kind of thing. Um, but broader than that, we're saying you should be able to look at the Bible as a whole and think about what it says about government, what it says about submission, what it says about living at peace and make good and necessary deductions about whether or not uh, you should pay your taxes. Now, there might be scenarios where you shouldn't pay your taxes, right? Um, <laughs> that's certainly possible. Um, and, and, but again, how are you going to figure that out? Well, it's not by finding a proof text necessarily. It's by, finding, it's by making good and necessary deductions about what the scriptures teach um, as a whole. Any thoughts about that idea? This is why we need the church. This is why we need one another. This is why we need um, theologians and doctors of the church. And, and this is why we need a community. This is, we all have blind spots. We all need one another um, to learn from each other within the church. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's a really important idea. Um, and Warfield's, the quote from Warfield um, doubles down on that idea. Um, so that first sentence, um, I think we've, we've talked about that. And this is why it's so important to protect Scripture as it is, to say we don't add to it, we don't, um, we don't, we don't put more in there that has this kind of authority. Uh, we want to restrict the authoritative revelation of God um, to the 66 books of the canon, but then we want to say that 
the, those 66 books speak about all of life and they require us to engage them with interpretive skill within the community of the church, within the tradition of the ages to understand what they say about everything. Um, we want um, to emphasize both those things. In addition, as the standards uh, emphasize here in the next sentence, they say, nevertheless, even though scripture gives us everything necessary, etc., nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things are as, as are revealed in the Word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are always to be observed. Um, so a couple things are happening here. Um, one is they're talking about the doctrine of illumination um, and that is to say that the, the, the writer of the standards want to say that all of this is dependent upon the work of the spirit. Um, you're it is not true that a man in his natural state can just pick up the Bible and read it and learn what he needs to know in order to be saved. Um, he needs something beyond that. He needs the inward illumination of the Spirit. He needs the Spirit of God um, to open these things up to him. Uh, and in fact, we would say that this is one of the primary things that the Spirit does as he uh, reveals the scriptures to us in a way that we understand um, them, that they fit, how they fit together. Um, and of course, he doesn't do this. We're going to see this in the next um, paragraph, I believe, on perspicuity. Um, simply, you know, inwardly by us as individuals, but he does this through the teaching of the church, through the ordinary means of grace. And the Spirit works to give us knowledge of what is necessary for salvation. And in addition to that, they want to make explicitly clear, um, particularly concerning the worship of God and the government of the church, um, there are some things that are common to human actions and societies. Um, there are some circumstances concerning these things that are common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. And here they're saying things like, you know, uh, when it comes to church polity, um, there's not just one way to do everything all the time, right? Um, there, God, I think, has made clear in his scriptures that there ought to be a plurality of elders who govern um, each local church, but it doesn't tell us how many elders um, there ought to be. Um, we need to discern that. Um, we need to discern um, things like, uh, you know, what kind of musical instruments do we use in worship? We need to discern um, things like what time um, do we meet on the Lord's Day? Um, those kinds of things. There, there are all sorts of, you know, I mean, think about the, the architecture of the space that we're in right now and how different it is from um, a church a thousand years ago or even a hundred years ago. Um, and you, you just begin to see that, that there is freedom here for us to make decisions within the scope of Christian liberty around Christian worship and the government of the church in particular um, because of, I mean, not, not in conflict with the general rules of the word, but within those contexts there is freedom. Why would they have isolated particularly the worship of God and the, the government of the church here? Now, in some ways they're just restating what they've said already, that everything, that things um, can be understood from the scriptures by good and necessary consequence. 
Um, but why in particular the worship of God and the government of the church? Any thoughts historically about why that would be the case? I think part of it is because you had diversity even within the writers of the standards on these questions, right? I mean, you had Anglicans who would be considered more high church. You had Presbyterians um, who would have a different approach to worship. You had Congregationalists um, um, who would have different ideas about church government. Um, so there was, I think there was a common understanding that, that we can come together and there can even be diversity on some of these issues around what the scriptures teach. Um, and, and still a kind of fundamental faithfulness as long as we follow the general rules of the word, which is, which is, I think, a good thing to think about. Any thoughts about that, about illumination, or about the, what they have to say there about worship and church government? Yeah, Eric. I mean, I think it's just talking about natural revelation there, so generally about any knowledge that comes to us from um, creation, from our investigation of creation, um, is I think what they mean, the light of nature, yeah. Um, so it could be all sorts of things. Um, it could be, you know, um, the way that we, um, I'm trying to think of a good example for you. Um, you know, the decision to, um, to create a hymnal that has, you know, um, you know printed pages and those kinds of things um, as opposed to some other way um, of, of giving people the songs of the scriptures um, or the songs of the church. Um, I think it covered a lot of different things. It's, it's a broad category there, the light of nature. It essentially just refers to natural revelation. All right, let's turn the page and talk about the perspicuity of Scripture or the clarity of Scripture, chapter 7 or paragraph 7. This is, a, I think, a pretty fascinating um, paragraph. It's brief, but there's a lot going on here. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other, that not only the learned but the unlearned and a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So what, what is this paragraph saying basically in, you know, paraphrase? Yes, ma'am. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right, Alexis. Um, there are some things in Scripture that are more complicated than others. Um, the, the, when you come to the Scriptures, um, there's not a, it's not an even playing field in terms of um, what is obvious and what isn't. Um, there are some things that are more central than others um, as well, I think we can discern from this statement. Um, and, and the things that they want to say are... Um, clear and simple, so to say, speak, 
um, not simple in the sense that we can just understand them without the work of the Spirit or the help of the church, but they're simple um, in that we can understand much more easily um, what it is to be saved, what it means that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in the flesh um, for the forgiveness of our sins and is raised from the dead for our justification. Um, we can understand that more clearly than perhaps we can you know, understand some of the things that Paul talks about that are more complicated and hard. Um, and, and Peter, actually, one of the proof texts that the divines use for this chapter um, is um, in Second Peter, where Paul, Peter says, there are some things that Paul writes in his letters which are hard to understand. Like, it's really interesting that he says that in his, his epistle about Paul. I think he's talking about Hebrews there, personally, but we can all have our own interpretation of that. Um, and so that, that's essentially what we're saying here. But one thing I want to point out, again, is just underscore. Um, is that this phrase, in a due use of the ordinary means, right? What, is, what does that mean, a due use of the ordinary means? That's necessary for anyone to understand what the Scripture teaches regarding salvation. What is that phrase in the... Yeah, Eric or Jeremy. I mean, that's possible. I would, I would say that that, that um, phrase in the context of the confession and the standards has a broader meaning than that. What were you going to say, Jeremy? Right, we're not, we're not talking about a, a vision or necessarily. Or, yeah, and even beyond that, I, I mean, what y'all are saying is both tr absolutely true, right? They are saying you need to learn the alphabet and you learn to read and you, you're not looking for, um, you know, uh, visionary experiences on a mountaintop in order to understand um, what God means um, by sending his son Jesus. But, but ordinary means ref refers, I think, to the ordinary means of grace um, that the larger catechism spells out and talks about, um, which are... Uh, the word, prayer, and sacraments, right? Um, within the context of the church, none of those things are you meant to receive on your own. You're meant to receive them in the context of the corporate people of God. So I, I think that's part of what's being talked about here. This isn't to say that it's not possible for a person who is, you know, on the proverbial desert island, right, um, to discover, um, you know, be digging for water and find a copy of the New Testament somehow, and he reads it and realizes that God loves him and Jesus, and yes, um, God can absolutely do that and the Spirit can work in that way. But typically, um, the way that you come to understand these things, um, what is necessary for salvation is within the context of the church, the local church, under the context of the preaching of the word, um, for example. Um, remember that Paul talks about in Romans 8, you know, how will they understand unless someone um, preaches, unless someone brings the good news to them and preaches it to them. Um, and um, it's, et cetera, et cetera, and within the context of um, the sacraments, within the context of um, prayer, um, all of these things taking place, not primarily in an individualistic way, but in the context of Christian worship of the people of God, um, that this is the way that people become Christians. This is the way that they understand um, the things that are necessary for salvation. 
Um, Lethem talks about that, and he says, the common person can come to a clear knowledge of the gospel through the word of God propounded in the ordinary way by the ministry of the church. So um, just like we do here, um, this is how people come to know the gospel. These comments imply that everything taught in the scriptures is not of equal weight or significance. Some things, those things necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation, have a strategic significance and shed light on the rest. They are paradigmatic for the whole. He goes on to say, Scripture is open to all through the use of ordinary means, so there is no need of it for an infallible teaching authority, such as the Roman magisterium, nor for special inner light, as with the enthusiasts and the emerging Quakers. Yet the teaching of the church nevertheless has an integral place. The means of grace are there to lead us to the knowledge of those things that are necessary for salvation with the indispensable illumination of the Spirit. In short, the Bible has to be interpreted. It needs a human interpreter and a divine illuminator. Um, I, I think that, yeah, all of that is what we're saying here. And, and we are saying that there are some parts of the scripture that are more central, and this is why um, we stand for the reading of the gospel um, in, in our worship service each Sunday because we believe that what the gospels talk about the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the heart of it. It is the, it is the, the most significant part, is what God has revealed in the person of his Son. Um, and that, that's related to this idea as well. Any other thoughts about that topic? Perpiscuity of the scriptures? It's a fun word to say, perpiscuity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the the confession, the catechism talks about how um, the reading, but especially the preaching of the word is the ordinary means by which God saves sinners, by which he converts sinners and builds up the church. And I think that's the context they're talking about here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting that the catechism even privileges preaching, the preach, public preaching of the word is privileged over the private reading of the word um, in that regard for both the conversion of sinners and also the maturation of believers. Um, Preaching is a fundamental um, means of grace according um, to the, it's a fundamental way that we receive the scriptures according to the, the standards. All right, let's, let's read this chapter eight, the text and translation of the scriptures. This is a fascinating chapter. We may not get a chance to cover all of it. We can begin here before the end of class. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, 
Therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner, and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. This is a beautiful passage, I think, um, a beautiful paragraph about um, the way in which the word of God comes to us. Um, they note that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the native language of the Israelites. The New Testament is written in Greek, um, which and this is something to reflect on. We don't have time to do it here necessarily at length, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the New Testament is written in Greek, that it came at such a time that there was a, a common language um, in the Roman Empire, and that language was the Greek language um, as opposed to other times. It's certainly, it's certainly part of the explanation for why the incarnation of our Lord happened at the time that it did um, was the way in which Greek provided a, a kind of um, common language um, for um, that, that portion of the world. It's also interesting to think about in God's providence um, that the Bible being written in Greek meant certain things. It meant that um, the Mediterranean world, which eventually became Europe, um, essentially, was the place where the scriptures were most originally taught and proclaimed and preached, which, you know, it would have been different if the New Testament had been written in Chinese, um, for example, or, you know, whatever the language's equivalent would have existed at that time. Um, it, it's interesting how um, Christendom, the way that it developed in Western Europe and Northern Europe in particular, um, really the European um, continent as a whole, um, was related to um, the Bible being written in Greek. There's a direct correlation there, um, and which is just interesting thing to think about, the way in which God, um, and now that doesn't mean that Christendom is, you know, obviously that the definition of Christendom is changing today, and that's also in God's providence, but the way that it developed in the early part of the church, and we could also not talk about Europe, but of course um, those other languages to the east that, that spoke Greek as well um, were part of that. Um, they're saying that, that these, the, the Old Testament Hebrew, the New Testament Greek, because they were immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages are therefore authentical. Um, this is a fascinating thing um, to think about the way in which um, essentially what they're saying is that the Spirit not only inspired the original writing of the manuscripts of the Old Testament and the New Testament, he also, in a special way, God is providentially rules over all things. Nothing happens apart from his ordained will. Um, but in a special way that Standards wants to say, um, God protected and kept pure the transmission of the manuscripts of the church, of the scriptures, rather, um, down through the ages. And, and you can read about this. Um, you can read about the history of, of the manuscript transmission of the New Testament, the Old Testament, the way in which God genuinely has protected it for thousands of years from corruption, from being lost, um, uh, so much. I mean, we have such a tiny fragment. I mean, if you know anything about the ancient world, if you know ancient history, we have a tiny fragment of the writing of the ancient world, right? Um, and, and most of the texts in the ancient world we have are not very well attested. Does that make sense? Like, um, the... The Bible is an exception to that. Like the, the, the New Testament scriptures in particular are the most well-attested documents from 
um, the ancient world. And it's not close, which is fascinating to think about, what, you know, how that developed and, um, and how that, ha and of course that makes more sense once you get to the fourth century or so and Christianity becomes, um, you know, the, the religion of the land and that kind of thing and you, why it would be protected. But, but even for those first 300 years when Christianity was a much more minority religion, there was a lot of persecution and different things, God protected the transmission of those documents um, from one hand to another down through the ages that we might have reliable sources for what Matthew really wrote, what John really wrote, what Paul really wrote. And it is a remarkable um, kindness of God and it's an example of his providence and his ruling over all things, um, the way that that is the case. Um, so he, they're saying they're therefore authentical. They have authority in and of themselves, referring back to an earlier um, portion of the standards. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. What's the them there? It's not just the scriptures, it's the scriptures in what particular form? in Greek and Hebrew, right? So they're saying, if you're gonna settle religious controversies, um, you need to be able to read the Bible and discuss it in Hebrew and Greek. Um, that there is a, and this is why within the Reformed tradition, um, still today, we require ministers to learn both Hebrew and Greek because the understanding is that um, there is, there is a, a, a higher level of knowledge that is needed of those original languages in order um, to engage with them in such a way um, to preach the gospel accurately and faithfully. And beyond that, um, if you're going to do true theological debate and reflection, you need to be dealing with the scriptures in, in the original languages, in Hebrew and Greek. Does that make sense? Um, that's all the time we have. There's well, The more exciting part of this um, paragraph, I think, is coming up, which is that that's not the end of the story, that you don't actually have to learn Hebrew or Greek to have a true knowledge of the scriptures. And that's a fascinating thing about Christianity as a whole, but particularly I think about the Reformed tradition in some ways. The emphasis on the translation of the scriptures in the vernacular, I mean, that was, as much as anything else, what started the Protestant Reformation, right? And was one of the most controversial things about the Protestant Reformation was um, the translation of the scriptures and the worship of the church in general, the, the songs of the church, the liturgy of the church, the preaching of the church um, being done in the common language of the people. Um, and we'll talk about that next week. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May you, by your grace, Father, give us a deeper appreciation of its worth, of its comprehensiveness, of the essential character that it has, Father, in our lives. Uh, may we indeed um, be wise, as the Psalms teach us, and treasure it more than gold and silver, uh, more than all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.